Oh, I think I'm doing those eyes. <laughs> I think I'm in love. It was terrifying. The pain, the, the fear of being eaten. I was drowning at the same time. I just accepted that I was going to die. Was there a bit of fandom for you when it came on? Oh, huge. Not- and I did not try to hide. <laughs> did not try to hide at all. Out of the box with Serge Negus on FBI. If you missed anything she played, you can head to fbiradio.com to catch up on mornings or any other program here at the station. Now, my guest on the show today is Jennifer Wong. She's a comedian and writer from Sydney, and she's also the creator of shows such as Comedy vs. Racism, Picture Classic Today, a book club impro, and many, many other incredible shows here around the trap. She's also performed in Australia, in Edinburgh, in Shanghai, and lots of other places around the globe. She's an incredible performer. Jen, thanks for coming on the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Now, look, how did you originally get involved in comedy, and, and whereabouts did you grow up? And tell us about where kind of funniness started for you. Where funniness started, I love that. So let's go back to the DNA of the family. Uh, no, it started. Um, it started like the way it starts for a lot of people in Australia, and that was through raw comedy, which is of course Melbourne International Comedy Festivals. Nash- oh, why am I plugging it for them? It's over. No, so it a lot of people, a lot of people start like that, and that's how I started. I'd come back from overseas, very very jet lagged, one year many years ago now and was very much in love and when you're in love you kind of feel like you can do things that perhaps you ordinarily wouldn't (laughs) and so I just decided to do it and then I did it and then I didn't know anything about open mic in Sydney I didn't know what that was and so for a whole year I didn't do comedy again because I thought that comedy meant doing raw comedy of course and right and so how did you then I guess move beyond that I I did it again the next year (laughs) so like I thought that comedy was Seinfeld in America and raw comedy in Australia. That's yeah. pretty much it. Wow. And then um, I was just lucky and met a bunch of people who were doing it in Sydney. And at the time that I was doing comedy in Sydney, um, which was in the early, mid-2000s, so it is a while ago now, the environment was really, really different. And the way that I can kind of convey how different it is is that, you know, there's um, the Roxbury Hotel in Glebe, right? Yes, yeah. And so, like, when a bunch of us were starting, um, that was a comedy room. Um, it was run by Catherine and Ron Bendel, and they were really mm-hmm. supportive of young comics, and they were really supportive of wi- women, um, comics who are women. And now that um, venue is about to be sold off to be, um, I think, student accommodation. Oh, yeah. So that venue doesn't exist anymore, and it hasn't for a while. So, you know, with the basement being, you know, possibly not a venue, it, it just feels like it's a very different time to be starting comedy. So when I started, it was like... You know, it was a thing where, you know, there were a lot of people who were actively putting a lot of their own time and energy into making it possible for young people to come up. And I think when you first start, you're not aware of the structure that makes it possible for you to do what you do. You walk in thinking that's the norm and um, it's not really the norm now. So it's, are you saying it's a bit harder now than it, than it was or...? I I wouldn't want to say blanket across the board if it's harder for other people, but mm. I do think that for me, if I was the same age and starting now, I would kind of think, you know, would I have been lucky enough to fall into doing it um, with as much regularity and um, do so many different things now as opposed to back then when there were, you know, it feels like more opportunities for um, someone like me who perhaps wouldn't have naturally spent a lot of time in pubs and bars. Like Mm, I think mm. the first time I had a schnitzel in a bar (laughs) was because I was doing raw comedy. Like I'd never, like it wasn't a place that I went to hang out or anything like that. Mm. So I, it's it's a it was a very foreign environment for me. And so I guess like did that take I mean a bit of time to get used to? Like did you find it confronting at first? I think when you start something new, the great thing is that you don't know how much is you don't know, and you kind of are so wide eyed and open to things that you yeah, just kind yeah. of go and do them right. Like there's this kind of adrenaline that you're concentrating on trying to do your first five minutes really well and you're going to all these new environments you're going like for me I went to all these places that I wouldn't have gone to if I wasn't trying to get more stage time like I remember there's there's all these like pubs and bars in um, East Sydney that I'd never been to you know there's Mm -hmm. um all these places um in Petersham like all these pubs and bars that you go to and it's just like I'm only going here so that I can do this gig and um and know what stand-up is and so I don't know. I feel really lucky. I feel like there are so many venues in Sydney that the first time I went to was in order to try 
to be funny. So that's it's classic. Kind so you've cool. basically, I guess, been introduced to a whole new world through this kind of interest in this in this art form, and it's it's really just expanded your horizons in so many ways. It's, I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's what everyone would want out of a career, isn't it? it to, to oh, it's so kind of you to call it a career. Yeah. It is so cute <laughs> for you to call it a career. I think um, the thing with me now, like working in media, like mm. all of that came through. Um, accidentally doing stand-up like I I didn't know that you could work in media when I was at high school Um, and so all of the producing and working in radio working in tv production writing for tv all of that came because of stand-up so that's Mm. I feel very 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 lucky for that um, because who knows what I would have done. Yeah, well, because we are talking that. about you in the context of being a comedian, but you are basically a multimedia talent in many oh, ways. You do so like many an, different things. <laughs> when you say multimedia talent, it makes me think of like Encarta or, you know, there's a multimedia. <laughs> Remember when multimedia was a thing? Yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. Like a, ooh, it's yeah, not yeah. a book. <laughs> it's not a video. It's multimedia. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It's one of those, yeah, like one of those classic words. When do you reckon, when, there, was an, there was an era where that was just the buzzword, wasn't it? Multimedia. multimedia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. what does that even mean? Like, I mean, for you, it, it means you literally work in radio, you work in comedy, you work in television, all these different things. But like when multimedia came out as a word, I don't think many people actually knew exactly what it meant, did they? Like they're like, oh yeah, multimedia buzzword. Like, you know? Yeah. The library has more than paper now. Guys, <laughs> <Yeah>. get on <laughs> board. <laughs> I think so that's funny. true for a lot of creative people um, everywhere is that they, out of survival's sake, do a lot of different things. And I think that's that was the interesting thing when I was you know, thinking of what music to bring along today was just like a lot of the people whose music I chose are known to be doing, it's disgusting how talented they are, oh, you know, across yeah, lots of different yeah. fields. And then it kind of makes you think about how all the things are inter- interconnected. Like, yeah. you know, a song might have been a poem once. Um, there's no reason why someone who's good at, um, you know, thinking about dialogue wouldn't also be good at really thinking about how a good piece of music is put together. So... Yeah, it's, well, it's just like, it's like yeah. Donald Glover. He's like the perfect example, right? Oh, like, it's just like he's how, like seven people I, in one. I think he's the the modern age version of Shakespeare. In that, I don't think that he is the single person. And you know how there's this theory about Shakespeare where Shakespeare, apparently Shakespeare wasn't one person, he was multiple people now. Yeah. I reckon Donald Glover might be like that. I reckon, I reckon Donald Glover is actually just a kind of pseudonym, I guess, and, and there's, there's a few. Are you saying that Shakespeare also had like, you know, like some music on the side and <laughs> no, like a little no, bit no, of no, like, no, I'm just yeah. saying, you know, I know what you mean, that, you know, many people came well, yeah, together, like Donald maybe. Glover Inc., for example, yeah, yeah. as opposed to Donald Glover, the individual. Yeah. At first though, when you said that, I was like, are we putting down Donald Glover though by merely restricting him to Shakespeare? <laughs> I don't know, but look, I mean, look, I, I would never want to take anything away from him, but I re- it just, it honestly blows me away the capacity that some mm. of these people have, like yeah. yourself. It's just, how do you actually, how do you find the time? How do you, how do you put that much effort into so many different things? <laughs> well, when you put it like that, it makes it sound like there's not much effort going into anything. You know what? I think, um, because no week is the same and we hear that a lot and then you kind of go well you could say that's the same for everyone but I think because there's a lack of for a long time for me a lack of routine it kind of forces you to think about what else you can make Mm. like if there's a lull you're like well what can I make that doesn't rely on someone else to um call me and go hey do you want to do this and because when you've been um given that opportunity for yourself, that's a nice way of putting it, I guess, to have that headspace and to be like, well, I need to think of something to do because otherwise I feel like I'm not making something. Yeah. What can I do? What what people, do, who do I want to work with? And, you know, where's a venue and where's a time to book it so that we can get a bunch of people in to, you know, hear what these people are saying and what they're working on, that kind of stuff. I think that's the kind of um, thing that accidentally comes about when you realise that um, – you don't have something to do for someone else. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But the flip side of that is it's really easy to kind of um, not work on your own stuff Mm. when you're busy saying yes to doing things with other people. And I think my attention span likes the idea of having to think about, you know, who I'm doing, how is the audience different, and um, what's entertaining for that moment. For sure. It's about, like, I guess, like being able to... I guess constantly keep yourself creatively inspired in some way as well. Yeah. And the thing with creative inspiration is that when you look at someone like Donald Glover, you kind of do a big cheer for like humanity. You kind of go, mm-hmm. one of us did yeah, that. Yeah. You know, yeah, you yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, it's it's like, you know, we just had the Commonwealth Games, which I have managed somehow not to see 
any of, but I imagine there were a lot of people who was, you know, really, really inspired and really like, um, you know, they're life changing moments when you're young and you're watching someone do something on TV that's just amazing. And you're like, I didn't know the human person could do that. And, well, and you feel like that a lot when you're. I'm so yeah. disinterested by the Commonwealth Games. But something that blew me away is I'd, I'd see these snippets of fans mm. going, watching ridiculous sports and they were frothing. And I was like, <laughs> really? People get off it on this sort of stuff? Like, fine, like, go watch some fast speed walking and, and froth out. Like, wow. Yeah, like, yeah. But it's cool, though, that people are into that shit. It's I, like, whatever. I, I love the idea of people enthousi- being enthusiastic about anything. I think that's the delightful thing about watching how much someone can be interested in something that is of absolutely no interest to yourself because it's it's really infectious. Yeah, like definitely. I know that's a really daggy thing to say, <laughs> but when you see people so into something, you're kind of like, well, you feel alive when you're like that. You know, for me, like that like dips, it goes up and down, like mm-hmm. just with health and stuff like that. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, imagine being like that all the time. But then part of me also goes... That would be so exhausting. <laughs> like, it would <laughs> be really exhausting. Very, very tiring, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. Well, look, we've got to get onto the music now, Jen. The first song you've got, you've got a song by Jamila Woods. What what track have you got for us? Um, it was hard to choose. I'm going to go with Very Black from her album Heaven. Um, Jamila Woods is amazing. And to listen to the album in its entirety is kind of gorgeous and beautiful in the way that when you're... I don't know if you remember first listening to like Lauren Hill or something and then mm. you hear, you know, the voices of people talking throughout the songs and you just get a really lovely sense of like, you know, what it's like for her to think about what it's like to be a black woman, a young black woman in America today. She came out for the Sydney Writers Festival with um, some other artists from Chicago in um, 2016, I think it was, and read some poetry and, um, you know, sang some songs and stuff like that. And I just felt like, you know, you go to a lot of Writers' Festival events and sometimes some of them just really take you to another place and you feel like you could be not in Australia. You are very, very, very far away. And that was really the case when um, Jamila Woods and Nate Marshall, another poet, read their poetry. It was a small room and it was just... They're words, you know, it's just so simple. You know, we talk about, you know, how music moves you and stuff like that. And sometimes when people can put just word after word after word together, it was just amazing. And I wish I had used my words a little bit better to (laughs) emphasize how moving it was, but I'm sure her music will show that. Black is like the magic, the magic's like a spell My brothers went to heaven, the police going to yell They're going to hello operator, emergency hotline If I say that I can't breathe, will I become a child? To see the movie, line up to see the act. The officers are scheming to cover up their cover up their Ask me no more questions, tell me no more lies. You're serving and protecting this stealing baby's life. I'm very black, 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 and send me back, back, back. Take my 
one day, these random girls at my office, and one girl's like, y'all remember how to play Rocky Robbins? And we all broke out into the formation. We were like, popsicle, popsicle, a bang, bang. We was rocking in the treetop. And it was so great. It was like these black women that I did not know had met that day. And we like all knew how to play popsicle together. And then like all of the people who weren't black were just looking at us like, did y'all go to elementary school together? And it was literally like the best inside secret that I felt like I had ever had. That's one of my favorite things about blackness. You're listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today is Jennifer Wong. She's a comedian and writer from Sydney, and she's hosted a number of comedic shows and done a lot of different multimedia things that we've been talking about <laughs> over our time. Now, look, racism and, and comedy and, and, and your work, I mean, it just kind of comes together naturally in many ways. I mean, what, what's your focus when it comes to issues of race, like with comedy? Um... That's interesting because I don't think, um, like for me, I don't wake up in the morning and go, mm, I'm going to tackle some racism and the weapon in my bag today, it's a bit of comedy. But I think what's happened is that um, when you're working in Sydney, for example, and, you know, it's quite a small space. And so what it means is that um, sometimes you're lucky enough to meet some people who are doing really, really interesting work and they kind of go, hey, do you want to do some work together? And that's kind of what's happened, I think, with a lot of the things that I've ended up doing. So with the idea of um, comedy versus racism, that came about because um, of an organisation called All Together Now. And All Together Now have done lots of different events where they've tried to make it so that it's an easily accessible way for people to come on board and like really talk about some of the things that are difficult to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it could be anything from what to do if you see someone um, experiencing an incident on the street, or it could be something in an office situation where it's unconscious bias. But anyway, what happened was I ended up doing some events with them where we brought some comedians, academics, poets, and um, writers together to, to do this thing where we will be like, well, what happens when we try to, use comedy to talk about some of those issues. And when I think about it now, I think because we didn't do one last year, but we did one the year before and the year before that, um, you know, the idea of learning about racism is that you can constantly learn more because there are so many smart people around you doing really good hard work about it, right? And unfortunately or fortunately, every week there are new scenarios which let us understand a little bit more about why something is... um, problematic or wrong and what can be done and so when I think about it now I think you know is using humor the best way of talking about stuff like this you know by making other people feel good in a situation you know by the idea of promising them a laugh are we kind of still making it really comfortable for everyone to have these conversations so I'm constantly in my mind kind of going you know are we making it too easy for people to yeah, feel like they can um, come in, watch a funny show and then feel like they've done something for a good cause? Or is it more generous to think that the people who are coming on board are already part of this conversation mm. and they deserve to have a situation where they feel like they're part of a community that's larger than themselves and their immediate work environment and their group of friends that are also like, right, we're here for the long run and we're going to do some work together and it's okay to think about some of the things that we talk about in a humorous way in order to um, feel good for one night, um, feel a sense of community and also meet some other people who are also doing the same thing. Well, it's an interesting one, though, right? Because if I think about the times where I have to confront casual racism, um, you know, in friends of mine, literally, Mm, mm. often it's in a very, it's it's casually racist in a very comedic manner and they justify it based on that. So it's like there's this level to which it's like, yeah, how do you address it? Because these guys are joking about this sort of stuff and, and throwing it away as a joke. So therefore, if you're then trying to battle it with that, at the same time, is, yeah. it, is there a point where it maybe gets a bit um, blurred, where, where people kind of just think, oh, yeah, they can joke about it, we can joke about it, so therefore we're not going to take this seriously? Yeah. Maybe. I think in isolation when it's, um, you know, when, you're, when you hear about an event like this and you think, oh, this is the only way that racism is being solved through comedy, mm. then it becomes like a really thing of like, 
a flippant treatment of something that's actually super serious and life and death for a lot of people. I think when we focus too much on the idea that racism in its entirety is the idea that, you know, someone's mate is occasionally a bit of a dick, um, that removes the sense of this whole thing of like, well, structurally there are things in place that make it so that some people are more likely to be disadvantaged from racism than other things. Um, But you're right, like, you know, what's the best way to call out a friend um, when you know that they're going to say, hey, I was just joking. Because in an Australian context, the worst, well, one of the worst things you can do is to show that you don't have a sense of humour, right? Mm. And so when you're doing this hardline thing where it's like, hey, man, that's really not cool how you said that. Um, It makes me uncomfortable. It's just a really dickish thing to do. Then you come across as someone who has no sense of humour. And so, like, I think, I don't know, I think, it's it's really it's really quite difficult. Yeah. It's really quite difficult to talk about. And I think the if we can convince more people to make it their responsibility, yeah, regardless of what race or cultural background you come from, then it's perhaps going to be easy for the people who every day are having to take a moment or multiple moments to deal with this stuff mm. emotionally. Yeah. So, like, I mean, in the in the context of 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 that, Jen. I mean, how how do you feel talking about racism? I feel like that because um, I am a Chinese Australian woman, that sometimes I get asked to do things to do with racism with different organisations because I am a friendly face, right? And be, what I mean by that is that I perhaps will talk about racism in a way that um, isn't going to rock the boat. Yeah, and that's come. That's partly a personality thing for me. Like I very much avoid conflict, that kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not terribly, um, you know, like outspoken. I haven't no. gone through my life being a very outspoken person. And I feel like in terms of even opinions, I feel like I didn't really even have to form opinions until I worked at a job where we were researching for a TV show that was very much about opinions, right? Because up until then I was like, well, what am I going to do with my opinions? I've got nowhere to you know, like there's no reason for me to express an opinion. It's easier just to kind of stay like lay low and just to get by and not, you know, draw any attention to yourself. And so I feel like when um, I talk about racism, what the audience is getting is a very, very limited, very tiny, tiny, tiny worldview that's quite generalized, Mm -hmm. you know. So I'm going to be talking about things that I've learned in recent times, like about what to do if someone's on a bus and they're, you know, getting um, the the target of um, racist abuse or something, right? Um, All these things that I've learned through working with different organizations like All Together Now, there are lots of people who are much better placed to talk about racism from a personal perspective than me now. If you'd spoken to me in the 90s, I would have had a really personal view about like Pauline Hanson and how difficult it is, you know, and how what it feels like then, right? But things are very, very different now. That's mm. like the, the the way that you can be a target of racism now is so much more severe than what it was like in the 90s for an Asian person, I feel. Really? That's I feel. I feel like that. I feel like, wow. I feel like if, I feel like there are, People move from target to target, yeah. like a horrible wheel of fortune so, situation, right? And um, and I say wheel of fortune in the sense of like the board game, like the game wheel of fortune yeah, with the yeah. wheel as opposed to like fortune yeah. striking you in a favourable way in yeah. terms of being the victim <laughs> of racism. But what I mean is that when more people talk about their limited experience like I would have a few years ago, what it does is I think it sucks the air out for the opportunity to talk about a very broader structural view of racism. Mm -hmm. You know, what's it like to be um, someone who's, um, you know, not Chinese? Yeah, yeah. Right? We we understand, I feel anyway, or maybe I'm thinking, you know, with the people who I spend a lot of time with, but I'd like to think that the general public should by now have an understanding of the white Australia policy, the 90s, the return of Pauline Hanson and stuff like that, right? But there's all this other stuff that's underlying that people can talk to you about from a personal experience that is that goes beyond that. Yeah. That is about what's it like to be a person who wears a hijab, who is 
identified instantly on public transport? What's it like to be um, perhaps um, an Aboriginal person who's um, wanting to get a particular quality of healthcare? All of those kinds of things, which don't necessarily make funny comedic stories, mm. um, are things that I think about a lot. And I think about, is it problematic just to have a Chinese woman, a Chinese Australian woman who's got a few puns up her sleeve and um, has an understanding of, you know, of racism through um, through reading, through learning about things, um, through listening to conversations on Twitter and, you know, getting up to date on how people talk about race and whiteness and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. I think gradually it's better for me to make those opportunities for other people mm, to yeah. make it so that they're sharing their experiences, which reflect a lot more about what's happening in Australia today. Well, yeah, it's understanding the complexities, I guess. And I think that like often in this conversation, people like, especially white people like to simplify it down yes, to like it's exactly. black and white. Whereas exactly. the complexities go far beyond just this is your skin clone. Yeah. I don't like you because of that. It's like, it's just a structural basis yes, towards racism yes, as well. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating conversation. And look, we will touch on it briefly a bit more for throughout the conversation but we do have to get onto the music again so we're only on to track number two god we're, we're talking a lot which is fantastic <laughs> we got a song by patty smith oh patty um, smith what, what are you going to play from patty smith um gloria because i love spelling and i love how she spells gloria and also um last year patty smith came to australia and told everyone that it was her last trip ever here to tour mm. because of health reasons. And um, I just thought, you know, what's it like to just do that last concert, you know, just to, you just give it your all. I saw her in Melbourne when I was down there for the comedy festival and um, it felt like a hello and a goodbye at the same time. Like, of course, her music is going to be there all the time whenever you want it. But just the idea of like, you know, she's basically saying, hey. Um, see you later. See you later. Um, and I just I just love Patti Smith because she's so brave and she's just so real, you know. Like when I read her books, when I hold her books in my hand, I just feel like like in Harry Potter when, what's that thing called where you touch something and it takes you something else? A horcrux? A horcrux, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like that, <laughs> that she just takes you wherever she's, wherever she is, if she's at a gravesite, kind of honouring a dead poet or something, like you're there with her and I just think she's magical. Jesus died for somebody's sins but not mine Milton pot of thieves Wild cord of my sleeve Thick heart of stone My sins my own They belong to me Me People say beware
You're listening to Out of the Box on FDR Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today is comedian writer Jennifer Wong. Now, look, something that you addressed in one of your shows was this this question or this kind of comment that, that gets made to you of, wow, you have good English. Can you explain this to us, where this came from? Um, I have great English, actually. <laughs> like, it's pretty ace. Um I think a lot of people have experienced this where um, they just get given a compliment, but it's actually really patronising, uh, like uh, in in my case. Wow, your English is really good. Yeah. Um, well, because I, I thought about this and, and I was like... Your English is great as well, by the way. I hope you don't feel left out in this <laughs> no, conversation. No, but, but my thought of this is just like, you're an Aussie. The natural reaction to, for an Aussie to be asked a question like that would be like, fuck off, mate. I'm an Aussie. Oh my god! I thought you were going to say "fuck off, mate." We're full, <laughs> which is also a very Australian thing to well, say. But you know what I mean? It's like how, yeah, like if, yeah, and it's just this this stereotype, I guess, that someone's decided based on your appearance to just project. And it's just like gobsmackingly ridiculous, right? Yeah. The thing is, though, that um, people think that they're being kind, you know, because really? what it because I think what it is. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. They're walking along and they think that I'm an international student <laughs> and I've been studying very hard. Therefore, my English is very good. Um, and it's uh, – it just – whenever – if you ever happen to be someone who says that to another person and you notice that immediately after there's a pause, um, it's not because that person's English actually isn't very good. It's because they're gobsmacked that yeah. it's happened. Um, and Again. it's not, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. And it's not even like it's happened, um, like after, you know, say, like I've written a book or something and the book is full of really difficult words. Mm. And like I've written the dictionary, for example, and at the book launch what? of the dictionary, wait, someone you, goes, wait, you know, like, wait. just go, come up, like, just follow with me. Like, Whoa. so it's not even like, it's not even like a situation where I've written the dictionary, I'm launching my book, which is the dictionary. And someone comes up and says, Hey, your English is very good. It's not even <laughs> like that. It'll just be like a, like a mundane thing, like, um, like at a bus stop or something. And I'll just be talking to myself. And I'll be like, oh, when's this bus getting here, eh? <laughs> and then someone will go, oh, your English is very good. Oh, like it's just, it's just, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny if you want to laugh at it. Like I think, mm. I think it's funny. But then you kind of also go, well, it's really loaded. Yeah. Um, it means sure. that um, you know, people are judging a huge number of people 
who look a particular way, who look like they perhaps don't speak English um, and commenting on that. So, you know, it unnerves you, you know, if it's your first day at work and someone says that to you, then perhaps you just are in doubt the whole day because then you think, oh, if they don't think that um, my aptitude for this is good, then am I going to have to second guess my ability at work in all the other areas, you know? Um, So many people in Australia look like they come from a place that's not from here, mm. and that includes people whose skin is white. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, um, it's it's very very loaded. Like, you know, there was a time when it was a crime to speak English in Australia. Like, if you were Aboriginal, mm. right? That you weren't you weren't supposed to speak your own language. You had to speak English. Sorry, did I do that the other way around? You yeah. had to speak English is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it's a po- it's a language policy thing, yeah. and language is always loaded with that. You know, you have totally. to you have to you have to speak English. You can't speak your own language, and to take the language away from people is like taking the way of thinking. Like I think in I think differently if I think in different languages, and I'm sure a lot of people do too. Because you speak Cantonese. I speak Cantonese yeah. and I speak Mandarin. I speak both. And um, wow. like I learned some other languages at uni as well that I can't really speak today, but it kind of does inform the way, you know, even just physically, what shape does your mouth make mm. when you're, you know, speaking Japanese or Korean or when you're trying to sound out a Latin word or a Greek word, that kind of thing, right? And the idea that um, you're not allowed to speak your own language is like... Heartbreaking, And so many people have made that choice for their families over the years to be like, you know what, it's going to be easier for you if you don't speak the home language, if you just speak English. And so there's that loss, like mm. again and again, of, of people choosing, thinking so, that, that they... Yeah, you could just literally call it cultural whitewashing. Yeah, thinking that you have to, for survival's sake, um, remove a huge part of you in order to survive, in order to you know, survive for the sake of avoiding bullying or just improving your chances of getting work or mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it's something that I hope we can go some way in changing into the future in Australia's history, to be perfectly honest, but mm. um, we'll get there as long as there are people talking about it and having these discussions, I hope. But look, um, we've got to move on to the next song again. So you've, you've got something here for us, Cables and Wires by TLK. To tell us about this track. So TLK is um, the name that uh, Felicia King goes by. Felicia King is an amazing young Thai Australian artist who lives and works out of New York. And she's one of the people who, you know, earlier we were talking about how people are multi-talented and do lots of different things. And she is like this to um, like an amazingly nth degree. So she's a playwright. She's just had her uh, first full-length play here as part of the National Playwriting Festival where they did a reading. It was called White Pearl, and I was lucky enough to work on that with five other Asian-Australian performers who were also women. So you can imagine how often... <laughs> Six Asian-Australian actors have been in a room together working on a play written by a Thai-Australian woman and it was funny and smart and just wickedly funny and pointed. So White Pearl is about um, the idea of like a skin whitening cream and um, what goes horribly wrong when a bad racist YouTube video ad is released accidentally and the fallout <laughs> from that. And, you know, you know, we're talking about language and all that kind of thing. You know, the characters speak English with their own culture in it. So, you know, it's set in Singapore. There's like Singlish in it. There's a bit of Chinese English. There's, you know, a Japanese character who speaks like an American type English, similarly with a Korean, um, a Korean character. And it's just like, it just, it's just a global way of looking at something, which I think we don't see a lot in Australia. You know, some people were, you know, saw the reading and were surprised. It's like, you know, where did these characters come from? And it's Mm. like, well, Mm. you know, depending on who you ask, they can say um, they come from, like, just life. (laughs) You know, know, just the way that we think about what is an Australian story or what is a story that we know here. It's just like, this is how we talk. You know, you guys might not hear us talk in any other way apart from this proper English that we use, you know, in, on radio or like, you know, wherever. 
but like there are so many different ways that people express themselves and communicate to each other that are rich with like multiple cultures and so it was delightful so um felicia's um got a new album coming out because she is so 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 talented and this is a track um from dendroform which is the album and i think the album comes out everywhere on the 3rd of may she's amazing i love her been listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today has been Jennifer Wong. She's a comedian and writer and she has a show coming up very soon. Tell us about it. So Griffin Theatre Company has got this really, really cool idea where they've got a thing called Batch Festival, which means that there are so many different shows happening over the next two weeks. There's already uh, one week that's underway. And one of the shows that I'm part of is called The Lonely Spirits Variety Hour, which comes from the brain of an amazing Sydney creative called Nitin Vengalaka. He is playing uh, a televangelist on radio called Neville Umbrella Man. And so what you're experiencing when you come along to the Lonely Spirits Variety Hour is like like a radio show that goes like wrong <laughs> with okay. right. with the spirit of uh, bebop courtesy of um, Nietzsche. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. yeah. And um, speaking of my English being good, but that's <laughs> technically not English. And it also features um, amazing talent including Sabrina D'Angelo, who is gorgeous and clowny and so wacky and fun, and uh, Nick Coyle, who is um, a delightful Sydney performer who I adore. Um, so you can come along and watch us at Griffin Theatre Company um, on 
uh, Saturday, uh, the 21st of April at 9 o'clock. Tickets are $20. Nitin's done the show before twice at Bankstown Arts Centre with different guests. And um, I've done one of the shows before. And it's just, you know, if you're into radio, if you like, like, quirky, a sense of humour and just like the tension of things that might at any moment go off the rails, please come along. It's it's going to be great. Well, Jen Wong, thank you so much for coming on Out of the Box. Thank you, Serge. Coming up next is Maya Billick, so stick around for that. Big thanks to my producer, Nicole DiPaolo, and I'll be back next week. See ya.
Sparks suddenly some liquor for my niggas Streets full of wolves so my appetite grew I was hungry for this rap shit way back in high school Motivated, not somebody to break the rule Coordinated mind frame, slaughter in your view Smoking on these green trees, I don't get the blues If I see a nigga lurk, then I gotta chuck the dose I was clocking out the work, work Around the same time, I was writing out of thirst Working three jobs, I ain't wanna buy the perk Friends will leave the cold turf It was ADHD, smoking weed before church Now I'm back on Tap dance on the platform With the mask on, hit the squad for the bathroom Wanted, now I gotta last long, dog. I just get a bigger jaw on if he act wrong. Yeah. On Sunday, the pain. 